Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. All right, boys and girls, welcome back to History, Politics, and Beer. We are sitting in our home offices in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And before we start the show, we would like to put the beer in History, Politics, and Beer. And the person that does that for us is Mr. Jeffrey Hudson. And Jeff, what do you have for us this week? I have the Citradelic IPA from New Belgium Brewery. Uh, their brewery was started out in Fort Collins, Colorado. And they've expanded to Asheville, as a lot of craft breweries have. And the um, uh, New Belgium beer is uh, it's pretty popular. I think they're the fourth largest craft brewers in the United States. This is, as I mentioned, this is an IPA, uh, India, India Pale Ale. It's a type of ale that was sold for consumption on board sailing vessels to India. In fact, the first brewers of it were located next to the East India docks. So they provided this beer. They hopped it a little more, and I think it it, it uh, actually helped preserve it a little more. And these guys uh, liked it on those long voyages to India. And uh, if you know about craft uh, uh, brewers, they all have several versions of this IPA. It's sort of like a, a flagship beer for, for many of them. And uh, this one has a little... Tangerine in it. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a big IPA fan, but let me take a a, a chance on this one and uh, let you know what I think. You know, that's a that's a quality brew right there. That New Belgium. I like. I'm not a big IPA fan because the IPA uh, tends to be a little bit bitter because of the hops, but has a real subtle tangerine. Uh, and it's not too bitter, just a little. Takes uh, a little bit of the bitterness yeah. out of the aftertaste. I, 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 could, I could have some of those, my friend. This is a uh, highly recommend New Belgium Citradelic. Uh, certainly not a sponsor of the pod, but hey, we will give recommendations where we see fit and I see fit to give this a recommendation. All right. Excellent. Good choice, Ms. Hudson. Um, today's podcast, Jeff, uh, we want to talk o- and tackle the topic of a two-party system. It is such a part of our political arena and such a part of our heritage that you would have to think that it's written into the Constitution, um, that it is part of the founding document. But it isn't. Matter of fact, John Adams said of political parties, there is nothing which I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties. They did not anticipate, they did not want, and they did not expect a two-party system. Yeah, I don't think John Adams was the only one. Yeah, and if you look at uh, Alexander Hamilton, nothing could be more ill-judged than the intolerant spirit which has at all times characterized political parties. Even Washington says, let me warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party. This is a pretty wide swath of people when you're looking at Washington, Hamilton, and Adams all saying that political parties are to be feared, uh, not to be embraced. And we embrace them today. Yeah. And you got another guy, the father of our constitution, Madison, 
who is for a stronger constitution and, and writes the, some of these Federalist papers and in Federalist, uh, which argue at the time for ratification of the constitution. Uh, but he argues again, he, his, his hope is that the new constitution will control what he calls factions. Factions are bad things. He said they're enemies of democratic government and have caused democratic government, he says, to fail in, in, in previous uh, uh, dem- uh, attempts at democracy. So, yeah, they're they're not mentioned and they're not well-liked. So the question is, how do you get there? And right away, one of the answers is in this argument between the Federalists who want a stronger government as, uh, you know, elucidated in the Constitution, which was written in 1787, and the Anti-Federalists who don't want that thing ratified. They think it's a threat to especially state power, and they think any threat to state power will eventually be a threat to uh, individuals in that state and take away basic uh, human rights. So even though they don't want political parties, at the very birth of our country, you have the Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists. And as much as they try to shake that flea, off of the dog of the Constitution. I just made that up. Feel free to use that if you'd like. Um, They can't. And by 1828, that Federalist Anti-Federalist has turned into Democrats and Whigs. Um, The Anti-Federalist turned into Democratic Republicans that sifted right into being a Democrat. The Federalists uh, die out. Um, They take the wrong side in the War of 1812, and they are going to reemerge as Whigs which is going to be in direct opposition to Andrew Jackson. So by 1828, we have a two-party system. It isn't what the founders envisioned. Um, The founders got this one wrong. Uh, Two parties and political parties are going to be the glue that holds us together politically. Actually, political parties are going to be the glue that holds this nation together up into 1860 or 1858, 1856, until the formation of the, uh, the Republican Party. I think the first question we have to answer here is why two parties? Why not three? Why not four? I mean, we know that the the founders did not necessarily like political parties. They were wrong. Political parties need are necessary to the political- Well, they turned out to be nece- useful, yeah, right. necessary. Um, but why two? Uh, is you're not going to see that and you're not going to see that number in the constitution or you're not going to see political parties you're not going to say there should be two parties so i guess the first thing we need to talk was why two yeah and and you don't see them around the world most uh, right. forms of democracy uh they have a multi-party system uh and they sometimes they call england a two-party system you have the conservative party and the labor uh party but there's a lot of active um Smaller parties, and sometimes one of those parties, like the Liberal Party, will hold the balance of power. So it's not what we have, which is this real division uh, between two major parties. And that's not the way uh, democracies are around the world. And one of the reasons we have is the fact that we split into this question, uh, arguing over uh, strong central government or centering power more in the states. That uh, is still something we argue about. It's still an issue uh, between the two political parties. And I find it interesting that in 1787, they're arguing over how much power should be in the federal government. 2018, 
basically were arguing over how much power should there be in the federal government. That we still argue about right. that. We may disagree about the division of those powers now. They may have changed over time, but we still argue about uh, how much uh, should be located in states and, and, and how much of a threat potentially is having too much power in the, in the national government to individual freedom. So let's and, hammer and, down structurally okay. why, why there's two parties here. All right. And, you know, the, the way – this goes back to the way – the main functions of political parties, certainly uh, the, one of the very, very basic fun, uh, functions, is to recruit people and get them elected to public office. So you can't do that. You can't survive. Uh, you know, you might have a group of people who believe certain things about uh, monetary policy or what you should do about uh, foreign relations, but they won't have any effect. They, they're not members of the government. You got to get somebody right. in government. And our system is set up so we have single member districts uh, in Congress. We mean districts. In the House of Representatives. Right, so congressional districts. Congressional districts. And we also have uh, – you have two members uh, of the Senate uh, from, from each state. But the single-member districts uh, allow the person who wins the most votes, the plurality, to go represent that district. So conceivably, you could get 49.5 percent of the vote in your district – it means you represent almost half the people. I mean, yeah, let's say you you're forty nine point nine percent. Yeah, forty nine point nine. You know, and and you get no representation if the other person gets, you know, fifty one percent. So what that is, it, that sets a barrier that's very high for a new party to come along, a new party to advertise themselves and to uh, get enough publicity to go and and to get their message out to. The, the people in a particular district. And, of course, there's barriers nowadays set up by the two major parties to do that. It's harder to get on the ballot. But the chances of a, of a third party coming along and winning more votes than one of the two established parties is slim. And, and that's even uh, worse. It's a, that idea uh, of a winner-take-all system is exacerbated by the electoral college. In the electoral college, you got to get 270 votes. You got to get a majority of those electoral votes. There's 538 electoral 538 electoral votes total in the nation. 270 to win. 270 to win, and, and and then you know you have a political office, the most powerful one, the president of the United States. So what you would ask of a third party is to come along in a nation of 300 million where it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to run a campaign where people don't know about you to come along and challenge one of the two major parties. It's not realistic. And you might do a great job like Ross Perot did in, uh, what was that, 1992? Yeah, 92. 92. And you might even get yourself included in the debates, as he did, if you remember with Bush and Clinton and right. Ross with his notepad stand up. But- you know, I don't. I think he got like eighteen percent of the vote or something. The popular vote. Yeah, no electoral votes. He got no representation. So it's it's just extremely hard the way uh, the elections are set up, both for the legislature in the United States and for the presidency, for a third party 
to get any kind of representation, to actually get somebody in government, which is one of the basic functions of the political parties. Right. I mean, it's that, it all comes down to really to that one word in the Constitution, and that's the word majority. Uh, you need a majority of the electoral votes to take the office of the presidency. And it's not a plurality. If a plurality would change everything, a plurality is simply says who gets the most electoral votes. You must achieve a majority. And as soon as you start dividing electoral votes by three or four, then no one gets the majority. And all of a sudden, the House of Representatives um, is selecting your president for you based basically on political allegiances sure. that they have. And to give you an idea of the cost factor here in Lancaster, County, uh, we just had a uh, an election between incumbent Lloyd Smucker and challenger Democrat Jess King. And remember, there are 538 electoral uh, congressional districts in America. This little one in Pennsylvania costs $3.6 million to run. Money, I mean, if you're knocking on people's doors and as a third party and saying, I want you to donate money, I want to challenge this system. I'm going to need $5 million or $2 million to do that. No one's going to give you money. Uh, you're an unknown entity. You don't have the Republican or Democratic name behind you. Um, and it's a very hard thing. The hurdle is almost impo- almost impossible. Well, you got to get, you know, in, in most states, in, in, in Pennsylvania, uh, as, as among others, you have to get signatures to even get on the ballot if you're a third party. So there is a barrier that the other two major parties are fine because what they agree on is – they would like to be in power, but they don't want more competitors for that right. for that power. Then, as you mentioned, you know, congressional elections. Now, I think the one in uh, in, in our district here in PA was pretty competitive, but it, it can easily cost uh, a candidate six, seven hundred thousand dollars, and that's every two years. Every right. two years, you need that money. So, how is a third party going to sustain itself without this big, huge structure? that the two major national parties have. <coughs> then um, the other uh, tool that the two major parties do to make sure their guy gets elected uh, every two years, or in the case of the Senate, every well, in the case of the Senate, it doesn't matter, but in a, a congressional district every two years is gerrymandering. They draw the district, so uh, the voters in that district are going to more likely to elect the Republican if the Republicans control the state legislature or the Democrat, if the Democrats control the state legislature, they're not drawing them to get a third party elected there. So between the funding and the gerrymandering, what that produces is a Congress that returns incumbents over and over and over again, sometimes to a rate of 95% of the people who are elected uh, to Congress every two years will be people who held that office and that's, previously. Well, if they held the office previously, they're not in that third party. So, But that's okay because the political parties are popular, uh, right? I mean, most people support <laughs> Republicans and Democrats. So the fact that Republicans and Democrats keep going back into office, obviously that's what we like. Um, those are the two flavors. I mean, it's like peanut butter and chocolate, two great tastes that but, go but, great together. Right. But people are tired of, of them. I think at one time, uh, you know, people did identify uh, more strongly with the two political parties. But right now, uh, I just looked at a Gallup poll and, and uh, that both the Democrats and the Republicans are viewed unfavorably by the majority of people. And it's not close. Uh, uh, Democrats, 40 percent of, uh, of the people poll view them favorably, 50 percent unfavorably for Republicans. It was even worse. 
uh, 29% viewed them favorably, 58% unfavorably. So, you know, people are not seeing themselves represented by these two political parties. Uh, the fastest growing political identification in the United States is independent. Uh, there's more people that describe themselves as independent than either Republican or Democrat. And you can see that in the last election with Donald Trump and uh, people who did not like Hillary Clinton and people who were embracing Bernie Sanders. I mean, Donald Trump certainly was not your typical Republican president. He campaigned on this idea of bringing something different. You're tired of the same old, same old in Washington, D.C. Going to clean the swamp, drain, drain the, swamp. the swamp. Right. And, and Bernie Sanders, a Democratic socialist, even though he is an insider, politically, uh, been in Congress quite a few years, he also brought that sense of change. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Democratic Socialist. I'm not part of the same old problem. So even in this last election, we saw a huge groundswell. Forget what your politics are. We saw a huge groundswell that basically said none of the above. We don't want Republicans. We won't de- don't want Democrats. We want not something new. Not the same no. old, same old. And right. Donald, Donald Trump, you could view his election. He's, he wasn't the same old, same old. And he wasn't... Uh, you know, the the guy who was the obvious choice when he began to run in a field of, what, 16 Republican right. candidates? and saw them real lot- solidly in the, quote-unquote, the machine of the Republican yeah, Party. Marco Rubio and— Jeb uh, Bush. Jeb Bush. And most people thought Donald Trump would do this for a while, get publicity and, and fade away, but he didn't. He got traction, and he talked differently than most politicians. And— um, uh, and, and, and it worked for him. It worked for him in the Republican primaries. And it worked for him later when he was against Hillary Clinton, who even though was the first female candidate, the Clinton name and, and Hillary Clinton's presence uh, had been in American politics for over 20 years. And people knew who she was. And it just she screams was, the same old, same old. Yeah, was, this is the same stuff. We, we're going to have somebody new, talks a little bit differently. We're going to have Donald Trump. And he used to be a Democrat. Now, a lot of people thought, well, you know, he's, he's not going to be too ideological. He was a businessman. He gave gave money to Hillary Clinton's senatorial campaign in New York. He's going to come in and he's going to be able some to do deals, as he often said. He was a great deal yeah, maker. The art of the deal. Yeah. And, and a lot of people just really, I think, gravitated toward him because he wasn't. So, I, again, although he was the – Eventually, he, you know, he was the Republican candidate. Certainly, wasn't a traditional Republican. No, and so we're stuck with two parties. I mean, because the system is structurally, we really have to amend the Constitution, get rid of that word uh, majority, put in the word plurality. You mean for the electoral college. for the electoral college? Yeah. We would really have to do a, a fundamental change to the structure on how we elect. And well, or well, maybe- let, let, let's explain. I think a lot, some of our listeners might not know how a system that uh, is more multi-party works. A lot of times it's based on a parliamentary system right. like England has. And, you know, England doesn't have a separate office of, of the president. They have a prime minister, which means he- Isn't that just uh, England's president? No. Oh, all right. No. Sorry. He's, he's actually a member of the legislative branch. Oh. And, and he gets uh, put in there by the majority uh, of the party who is able to get a majority of the legislative seats. Now, a lot of people call England a two-party system, but it's not like our system. Uh, there, Even though there's two major parties, the Conservative Party and Labor Party, 
Uh, there's a number of very active smaller parties, and sometimes the, the the what they call the liberal party can play a pivotal role because in these multi-party systems, sometimes to get a majority of the votes in the legislature, in parliament, you have to form a coalition. Yeah, coalition government. A coalition government, and then they'll elect the prime minister, a leader together. So that's our system specifically to have checks and balances takes the election of the president, uh, makes that a separate issue, and they're elected in a different way through the Electoral College, and the legislature is elected by, uh, since the 17th Amendment for the Senate, is elected by popular vote, although the plurality of the popular vote in the state or the district. So you would, if we can't have that system. That's our constitution specifically is designed not to have that system. We have the separate way of electing the the president and the legislative branch. Now, it doesn't mean the third parties have not played a role in U.S. history because they have. Um, as Jeff pointed out earlier, uh, the one thing or one of the few things that Republicans and Democrats can agree on is that there should only be Republicans and Democrats. And state laws have been written to really make it difficult for third parties to put their names on the ballot. But before that was the case, um, you have – I will mention two of them. In the late 19th century, you had the Populist Party. Uh, the Populist Party rose out of farmers – and something called the Grange movement, and farmers were very concerned about how much money there was in the economic, how much money there was available for lending. Uh, they were interested in the railroads. They were interested in banking, uh, and they ran a few candidates. And they were actually William getting James Bryan's probably right. the most well known one. Yeah, and he uh, that that party obviously did not survive, so we can say it failed. But in a way, it was very successful because what happened was other political parties, the major, the two major parties saw, well, wow, they're getting a lot of traction with these issues. We're going to take those issues. Well, yeah. And, and just to give you a hint on this, uh, William Singh, Bryant, one of the things that the populists wanted was to get off the gold standard because right. that made more money available. Farmers have to buy equipment. Uh, they buy the land. They invest in things. And then- when they get their harvest, they're able to pay this off. And, and uh, uh, you know, to show you the success of the Populist Party, we're not on the gold standard no. anymore. You know, they so. wanted the progressive income tax. We have the progressive income tax today. They wanted regulation of railroads. We have regulation of railroads uh, today. Interstate Commerce Commission. Right. So there's a lot of things that the – excuse me, that the Populist Party got right and they were able to push the political discussion. Uh, we had another uh, election with um, – this is on a kind of a different note uh, when we had Wilson, the Democrat, facing off against um, William Howard Taft and Teddy Roosevelt. Now, Teddy Roosevelt ran as a, what they called the Bull Moose Party. He was an independent. Was he was independent. Third, he was the third party. Yeah. And that split the Republican vote and allowed for a very much a minority president to come into power. Uh, that is Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson, if you look at the the presidents before him and after him, there's a, just a long line of Republicans, and there's one of these things that are not like the other. It's Woodrow Wilson. How does Woodrow Wilson get elected? Well, because the Republican Party is split. So there we have two. We have an example of how a, a third party can push an issue, but then we also have an example of how a third party can split a vote, and then you have a president come in who the majority of the people voted against, as in Woodrow or didn't Wilson. vote for. Didn't vote for. That's absolutely right. I guess you should. You can say it that way. Right. Um, and which is 
and this is a concern I want to hear you talk about a, a second here, Jeff. And that is, this is always my fear of a third party system is that you will allow a third party that's a fringe party that's more radical to come into power because the two mainstream parties will split votes and you'll have a radicalized government because of the mainstream party splitting votes. Well, one of the um, uh, features of two-party government that political scientists, historians talk about is uh, that they like about it is stability. Uh, but you know, when I, I think there's a problem when the majority of people in your country view those parties as not representative of you anymore. They want a third party. And the whole idea of the Electoral College and how you would amend that, that's a different that's a whole nother discussion. But I do think there are some innovative things in state politics for congressional districts or uh, Senate elections. And those things are ranked choice voting. That's a real interesting – we could do a whole podcast on ranked choice voting and how that changes the the dynamics. Right, or a runoff election. So if nobody gets 50 percent, you run it off. And, you know, let's say you had a – this would be for a statewide office like senator. Let's say somebody had, you know, uh, a good showing – uh, for a third-party candidate, let's say they got thirty percent, or something. But there's a chance in a runoff election, uh, if they were able to make the last two, that thirty percent, well, got them in the last two, which it right. could, then they could conceivably get elected. Now, more likely, where uh, the more likely innovation to help third parties is ranked choice voting, where you're allowed to vote for. Uh, a a member of Congress, but you can ch- you you rank who's on the ballot. Well, this is my first choice. This is the second choice. Who's who's the third choice? And then those come into play if nobody gets a majority. Then those second choices or third choices come into play and get added to a person's total. And that could, in fact, I think that would in some cases result. And third parties being competitive, at least in certain congressional districts. So I kind of like the ranked choice idea. Um, I think we need some innovation to make these parties more responsible. I agree. The third, the two party system, as you point out, the 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 problem isn't with necessarily having two parties. It's having two stagnant parties that there's no hope of ever seeing a change in them. And this idea, as you said, the same old, same old, um, talking about Hillary Clinton again, and whether you voted for her or against her, um, she had baggage with her from previous administrations, um, from her time in the Senate, and people saw her as machine politics, that this was not something that people wanted well, this is what the Democratic Party wanted. One of the specific complaints with Bernie Sanders' uh, uh, supporters was that she she was going to get the votes of the superdelegates. Yes. And for the – again, our listeners might not know what they are, but they were permanent votes given to um, basically officials. This is the primary who, system. And, and the primary system, right. They're going to get votes for the nomination to be – the Democratic uh, uh, nominee for presidents. Um, but they were going to get vo- – you got votes just the fact that you held political office. And those superdelegates were not reflective of the will of the people at that time. 
Right. And so there are solutions to the two-party system. As we pointed out, the Constitution is written in such a way that the verbiage of the Constitution almost preordains a two-party system. It, it, at least in the, the national level. Right, at the, the na- right. absolutely at the national level. But there are still tweaks that you can make to the system to keep fresh blood and fresh political parties. And new ideas. And yeah. new ideas. And really, that's what I think people want, are new ideas and new fresh faces. So I hope you enjoyed History, Politics, and Beer. As always, you can reach us at historypoliticsandbeer at gmail.com. We would love to hear your comments. Until next time, uh, we recommend getting some new Belgium citronellic and sitting down with a friend or somebody even you disagree with and having a reasonable conversation. Good night.